You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Zirkus, with the RSA Conference team. And today I'm talking with Kim Jones and Ben Rutke about the cybersecurity workforce. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask my guests to take a moment to introduce themselves before we dive into today's topic. Kim, let's start with you. Thanks, Casey. My name is Kim Jones. I currently work performance acceleration at Intuit, the TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, MailChimp company. I am a 36-year veteran of intelligence, risk, and security, sat the CISO chair for about 13 years, and have built and taught in several cybersecurity degree programs at various universities. And it's great to be here. It's great to have you. Ben, over to you. Hi, Ben Rothke here, uh, New York City-based uh, information security manager. Been in security, uh, you know, twenty plus years. About half of it in professional services consulting, and the other half uh, internal corporate security. And you know, that's what I'm doing now. Awesome. And both of you are definitely great friends that contribute a lot of content to RSA conference in many different ways. And that's sort of how this idea for today's topic came to be, because you've both written extensively about the cybersecurity workforce and um, have very strong opinions on what the issue is of the presumed skills gap, whether there is one or isn't one. So we wanted to bring the two of you together to have this conversation for our listeners, because I think we can all agree on one thing, which is that we want to move forward. And so you both have some great ideas about how to do that. Ben, let's start with you. What is your position on this presumed cybersecurity workforce gap and where things stand right now? Yeah, so... The short answer is, you know, there is a gap, but it's not as extensive as it's made out to be. You know, hardly a week goes by when I don't get calls, emails from college students, friends, parents about, you know, they want to get into information security because there's so many open jobs. It's a very lucrative field. And a lot of it's based on reports and articles in the mass media talking about, you know, multi-million uh, shortages of uh, of information security professionals, you know, anywhere from one to you know 3.5 million. And if anyone would take five minutes and really try to dig deep and look, they'd see you know these numbers simply don't make sense. Uh, at the extreme, uh, you know, one percent of Americans would be working in information security, you know, based on some of these numbers. And a lot of these are reported as facts when many times they're projections they're based on uh you know poor data gathering just a, a, a simple example is jp morgan posts a job in information security they push that out to hundreds of bpo firms so if you uh you know base it on the job boards you know that one opening at jp morgan 
can be counted as you know 200 jobs so there, there's a lot of problems out there um with that the short answer is there a difficulty in hiring certainly uh but also you know there's a shortage of airline mechanics there's a shortage of uh pediatric dentists rheumatologists etc so there is a shortage it's clearly not as serious as it's made out to be i like that perspective <laughs> and that's an interesting take on you know the lack of deduping in the data so i think that's an important point to consider kim what are your thoughts here my thoughts run a little bit tangential to where ben's coming from for me regardless of the size of the gap and i would concur with ben that yeah well, there clearly is a gap whether or not it's multi-million, whether or not it's 750,000, whether or not it's 100,000, whatever the number is, there is a gap. My concerns get to what we as a profession, how we have gone to market to say what needs to be done to close that gap, and then what we are doing when people pursue those opportunities, uh, specifically. When we started as a profession seven, eight years ago, railing at, oh, my God, this gap is huge, we went out relatively in mass to talk and complain to colleges and universities that they weren't teaching enough about cyber, telling people that cyber was a good career path to migrate into, advocating for various programs out there like cyber jiu-jitsu like well, you know programs that cybersity have put together different boot camps that are out there advocating these as ways that people could help come into cyber and then help us close that gap one of the problems that i'm seeing out here is while we have advocated that yes we need to close these gaps and there are a multitude of ways to get there our hiring practices aren't matching that which we advocated for. And you still get people who are recruiting solely from colleges and universities while complaining that colleges and universities aren't meeting the needs. We're encouraging people still to go to boot camps and training, yet our job descriptions aren't allowing for people who have just that training to come in. And I've heard very seasoned professionals says, yeah, boot camps are just ATMs for various organizations and aren't teaching things that are of value. Yet we have people, many of whom are in the underrepresented minority communities, who are spending money, resources, and time on these things in an attempt to better themselves and enter the profession. So my concern, Casey, is if there's not a gap, great then let's go out back in mass and tell people there's not a gap or that it's a smaller gap. And then maybe it's time for us collectively as a profession to do what we've avoided doing for the past 20 or 30 years and say, okay, whether there's a gap or not, how the hell do you get into cyber and pick a direction and then collectively stand on that? And what skills do you need to even begin to approach the cyber community to say, I am qualified even at entry level to come in? Because we're failing in those areas, and I think it's hurting a lot of people, particularly given how we went out to market seven or eight years ago when we were railing yeah. at this multi-million gap. 
Yeah, and I appreciate both your explanation and Ben's because it does highlight, you know, the enormity of the issue, which isn't um, necessarily the size of the gap, right? And and that is what makes headlines. So, I want to go back to something that Ben said about the data, and you know, it sounds like a classic case of misinformation and, you know, the reliability of the data that's feeding these reports. So, you know, where do these numbers come from? Who's doing this reporting that then, you know, everyone accepts these numbers as facts without then doing, as you said, Ben, the five minutes of research to understand the sort of lack of integrity in the data of the statistics that are being pushed forth? Um, yeah, I mean, they come from, you know, different areas. I mean, if you read the articles, they're are, are often going to mention uh, cybersecurity ventures. They'll mention um, surveys from uh, ISE Squared, from ISACA, etc. But, you know, these are not, you know, good actuarial numbers. A lot of these are based on polls, uh, estimates, projections, etc. And, you know, miscounting, as I said, is, you know, how do you... Uh, you know, count numbers, even if, you know, large events, you know, there's, uh, you know, mass rallies, you know, it's even something is like that, you know, it's more art than science, you know, was there 300,000 people at this rally in downtown New York? Was there 50,000? Was there half a million? And so too, with these compare numbers, the pictures of, and see. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's very difficult. Um, and I said, is, you know, real actuarial data, good actionable data there isn't there and if you you know read the articles many times you know they will say you know we these are predictions we're projecting and i mean we have this problem in general you know with TikTok, with twitter you know they just want the short sound bites but don't dig deep and there's no mm -hmm. reason to think this report that is wrong but you have to you know trust but verify and if you try to verify these numbers on one thing you'll see they're not there and then if you talk to people who've gone through these boot camps and ask them, you know, are you finding jobs? If you speak to the hiring managers and say, will you hire a person like that? And then it gets, you know, all the way to, um, you know, my friend, you know, Helen Patton in mm -hmm. her book, Navigating uh, the Cybersecurity Career Path. She says that there's very few real entry level jobs in security uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, security is built on information technology. It's built on risk, et cetera. And so you really need to have that core understanding of IT, of programming, of risk. And once a person has that, even as short as, you know, two, three years within IT, then you can go into this thing called information security. But just to take someone and throw them in a boot camp and try to, you know, have them come out as an information security expert, as a lot of these schools say, it's it's just going to, it will just fail for a lot of reasons. B, because, you know, in the matrix, they fed that massive in, you know, amount of information into him. But, you know, no one could absorb that much information in these boot camps, you know, 35 hours a week of getting all of this information after four, five, six months. You can't remember that. What you need is a person who's worked in the industry two, three, four, five years. They're a great candidate to transition into information security, but expecting this thing called an entry level cybersecurity job, you know, good luck finding it. So I, I got to glom on here. Whether I agree or disagree with that, and there's a part of me that does disagree with that, but if we agree with what you're saying, Ben, you know, my challenge here is to say, okay, 
if we as a profession believe that what Ben Rothke is saying is true, then why are you recruiting from colleges or universities? Why are there, we taking interns from colleges or universities? Because by your definition, the only people qualified to for entry level with big air quote cyber are people who have been out there doing real work in the IT profession, which means we need to go back as a profession and make that collective statement to say, okay, guys, you know all the things that we did during the early portions of my career to say we need to separate ourselves from IT? All the things that we did to say we need to be a separate entity? The reality of the situation is you need five to six years of worth of experience in some form of information technology prior to entering cyber. So if we believe that, then why as a profession are, are, is not every global 1,000 CISO and more standing up and shouting for that from the rooftops? Because if we're not, then we're at best hypocrites. At worst, we're lying. And from an integrity standpoint, we shouldn't do that. So, Kim, it it kind of begs the question for me anyway. This is just, you know, my own thinking. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the burgeoning cybersecurity degree across universities and colleges in, in the United States and really globally. And so, you know, that is in part because of your point of this marketing campaign to, you know, schools aren't doing enough. And now we've gone beyond the computer science degree and we're, you know, including cybersecurity courses there and also even just creating degree programs of cybersecurity. Yet when they graduate, they're not still qualified to get a job. So what's the solution? Well, the bigger part of the solution, Casey, in my mind, sits in the last portion of what you said, which was still not qualified to get a job. The question that we as a profession have avoided answering for my over three decades doing this, over two and a half decades in the civilian sector, is we refuse as a profession to clearly identify the KSAs necessary to enter the profession. And we have done so, or refused to do so in my mind, because we fear shutting off potential avenues for talent, because we are concerned about having enough bodies and resources to do the work. You ask three different cyber professionals, what are the combination of KSAs and trade skills that you need to enter the profession? You get either three to four different answers or you get hit with what I like to call the myth of complexity, that what we do is too complex and too hard for us to define what are the basic KSAs needed for people to come in and do the work. The reality of the situation is a lot of the folks hiring aren't taking the time, energy, and resources to understand that there's a training lift associated with making people good. And, oh, by the way, that's the same training lift that most of us who've been doing this for a day and a half were, you know, went through ourselves. We want someone who's come out and who's fully baked and has done these things prior to actually giving them the gig. We're not training, we're stealing. And because of that, that's what, in my opinion, is causing the gap. We don't have a clear pipeline as to what's required to enter. So the solution to the problem isn't to look at the different degrees, it isn't to look at the different boot camps and complain about it, it's to look ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, what do you want for an individual to have to enter the field? And while we talk a good game about it, we haven't done that yet.
Yeah, and I I, I want to bring that question back to Ben because Ben, I I appreciate where you're coming from in pointing out like the gap isn't really maybe as large as we believe it to be. There are gaps in other industries. The boot camps aren't preparing people adequately for taking on a role because there's no way that one could really retain all of that knowledge and then be able to implement it in a role in that short of a period of time. So what do you see is the solution here? Yeah, um, we have four hours today, right, to talk about this? <laughs> Actually, yeah. Casey, up to five, so we're good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, obviously, there's a lot, a lot going on here. And, um, you know, sort of even you know, piggybacking what Kim said, I mean, you take someone who graduates from medical school, you know, four years of college, four years of medical school, that person really is not going to be, you know, once they have an MD, even graduating at that point, they still have more to go. Uh, but with that, you know, the medical field, very highly structured, it's detailed, the person knows, you get your bachelor's and you, you know, you study for your MCATs, and then you go to medical school, and then you all your steps, and you do residency. And after, when you graduate at 35 with half a million in uh, in student loan debt, then you could really start working. And even then, within you know security, and you know this thing, security is massive because there's a good you know 10 different career subsets within security. That's not well defined. There's a lot of books we're seeing now, you know, getting into information security as a career path and there's a lot of different avenues and with that you know someone wants to become a medical doctor very very clear how you get from point a to point b practicing medicine you know when it's in information security we as an overall industry are a lot younger there's not a you know a centralized body you know overseeing everything and it's still in development and you know, you take a cardiologist who graduated from medical school 20 years ago, you know, the heart is pretty much the same. The technology has changed. You know, within IT, you know, it's, it's you know, day and night is an understatement. So there's so many different things going on. Uh, and the short answer is, you know, you know, how do we fix it? It's extraordinarily difficult because there's lack of control, lack of centralization. Um, but with that, if someone asks me, how do you get into this thing called information security? I'd say, you know, get a bachelor's degree in uh, computer science, get a two-year degree, um, you know, take a one-year program, you know, start working in IT, and then in your company, see if there's avenues in which you could start getting involved in information security. Um, and that's really a, uh, a structured, you know, long-term approach. And that's how you really solve the problem. But, you know, a lot of the challenges uh, Kim mentioned exists because it's very, you know, unstructured, you know, there is uh, no real, mm -hmm. you know, centralized accreditation body, there's no, cent nothing centralized, there's a lot of different organizations. So that adds to the confusion. Um, yeah. And it's not a simple yeah. answer to fix. You know, there is no shortcut, so, there's no simple answer. I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying, Ben, but there are some pieces to call out in there that are worth hammering on. I agree with you that there's a lot of changes in the adaptation of technology within the environment. But I would also remind us that we are continuing to base that technology and its use on the same set of protocols and services that existed before I entered the field. And we're just applying them in different ways, similarly to how we're finding new diseases, new things about the human body, et cetera. 
there's a lot of the human body that's the same, but there's a lot of the human body that continues to evolve, develop, and grow and learn. So the level of complexity and change that happens, you know, what I said earlier about the myth of complexity, ask any doctor about the complexities of the human body and they will tell you that they are still learning. But the bigger thing that you mentioned using your medical analogy is as a profession, yeah, you've gone to school, you've learned the basics, et cetera, congratulations. Now comes this thing in your third year called residency. And then, you know, in terms of you're dropped in, you're doing real work, hands-on, under the guidance, mentored tutelage of other doctors. There's a hazing component that goes there as well in many cases, and we understand that. We as a profession seem to fear and understanding that if we're going to make it better, we want somebody else to do that for us. So I love your medical analogy. I love the, you know, maybe a need for some centralized body, you know, and maybe a need for some centralized standard. But there's still a need for us to sit there and say, how are we raising our own? And if we refuse to do that, we're always going to have this problem. And IT and raising them in IT is not going to solve it, in my opinion. That's kind of how I want to wrap is posing to both of you short of having a centralized body, short of having, you know, this long-term, well-developed educational system akin to the medical field where we know the, the career path. What can listeners do right now, whether they are the hiring bodies in need of the talent or the talent themselves trying to get their foot in the door. What can folks do right now, today, to effectively narrow that gap, however big it is, um, to fill those roles, to get those jobs, to make use of their investment? Like, you know, those that are getting the education and taking these boot camps, to your point, Kim, they're not seeing the ROI in their investment. And the worst thing that we can do is encourage people to then walk away from the field, right? So how do we keep them here, get them into roles where they can train up? Casey, you know I'm not one to mince words. I know that doesn't surprise you. (laughs) I'm I'm going to be a little harsh here towards my colleagues and the other professionals out there, and I've been doing this a long time, and I know you know – I love everybody who does this. I love this profession, which is why I still keep doing it. And my passion is for keeping people safe. You know, at best, we are operating in an environment of fear. We fear failure so much that we want to make sure we grab people who already have the talent versus grow that talent. That's the positive spin. The realistic spin in my mind is we're operating out of cowardice and hypocrisy. To make it better, we need to take a strategic stand and say, we're going to have to grow the people that we want and stop looking to others to do it. Even if you don't want to say, here are the KSAs, et cetera, that we need, you're going to have to start taking on people who are only meeting 60% or 70% of what you need and invest the training dollars and the mentorship and the time to grow the next generation the same way that old farts like me who've been doing this forever had time and energy invested in us. You know, I'm an ex-soldier, as you know. Nobody dies anymore based upon the decision I make today. You know, nobody dies, lives are impacted 
jobs are impacted. I understand that, but nobody dies based upon the decisions I make today. And that wasn't always the case in my 20s and early 30s. So we talk about failing fast. We talk about being willing to fail. Take that opportunity to mentor those who are coming in from various areas, defining your requirements appropriately, and not just look at what they can do now, but look at potential and the ability to learn and grow them. More apprenticeships, more internships, and more true commitment, not just to now, but for the future of our profession. That's how you solve the problem. You know, to be fair, we did have some sessions in our inclusive security track last year that spoke exactly to that, Kim. And, you know, people who yes, were, were, yeah, who were working in exclusively on creating these types of programs within their organizations. And, um, you know, these aren't global enterprises. These are, you know, small banks or small to medium sized businesses that are recognizing there is something that we can do here. Ben, I'll close with asking you the same question. What's one thing that folks can go do today? Sort of like the Fortune 500, you know, has the wherewithal, you know, do they have these programs to develop their staff, to have have interns, uh, et cetera? You know, the vast majority of companies are much smaller, so they really need to invest, you know, in the people they have now. And I think a lot of people in IT departments want to do more with information security so they could you know, give them those, you know, opportunities, you know, you, they may have a, a internal network manager who wants to do more. So give them uh, a few hours a week to do self-study. The good thing about security is uh, there, there's, you know, so much open source, you know, there's so many things that are free, you know, you don't have to send them necessarily to a uh, a $6,000 a week course. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it takes a, a bit of a longer term vision uh, they have to see it as an investment, but so the big firms do it via the internships, you know, cross training. The smaller firms could do it by, you know, giving their existing employees who have an interest in security, you know, the, those uh, opportunities to uh, morph into those positions, you know, which they uh, they want to do. Uh, but it's a very complex, multi-dimensional problem, and there is no, you know, one quick fix um, to right. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but having these conversations helps to move us in the right direction. So Ben and Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Continue to write about it, to talk about it, to help guide our industry toward progress. Um, because I know it always breaks my heart when I am met with folks who have those anecdotal tales of despair and disappointment and you know discouragement. And we want to continue to encourage and keep Keep impassioned people in the industry. So thank you for doing your part to make that happen. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. To find products and solutions related to professional and workforce development and security education, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. Until next time.